see you next week. Good afternoon. You're listening to Living Writers on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel, and today I'm so happy to have poet, an extraordinary human being, Thanks, <laughs> Keith <Steve>. Taylor, <laughs> Keith Taylor, um, in person here in the studio here at WCBN. Um, Keith, thanks for coming down on this wintry thanks January day. Thanks for having me. It's great. <laughs> Anytime. I was thinking you might be the person who is most most times on Living Writers as far mm. in my living memory. Yeah, and I go back before you. <laughs> and so you were on the program probably with before oh, yeah, for I was, multiple times in even different iterations of I, it, right? I, I think I, the first time I was on was 1985. 1985. Well, that's well within the scope yes, of yes, today. Yes. We're gathered to talk about yep. all the time you want. Selected poems, 1977 to 2017, out with yep. Zank Books this year, hot just, off the just, press, yep. um, and launching launching next week on Tuesday at the Ann Arbor District Library at 6:30 with Literati there with Literati selling books and yep. Doing, doing, doing the heavy lifting. And six thirty p.m. Very good, folks. thank you, T. Okay. That it's going to be such a great event. Let's hope it, for for the community, um, for people who love poems. Yeah, that's gonna it's good. gonna be grand. Um, but nineteen eighty five was the first time you that were was my, down here. That was Pete my Taylor. first chapbook, and I think they had me, and it was published by a little press in Ann Arbor doesn't exist anymore but was nan the host then or do that you remember sounds right does it I, yeah, maybe shout out I, to nan if you're listening that <laughs> might, it might have been often is. yeah yeah <laughs> um oh. it's it's I, I really don't remember who the right, host was right. isn't that terrible no well <laughs> keith uh, to be honest sometimes now i'm like did i talk to that writer yeah, or did i just yeah. imagine i did like sometimes it's like that after some years right yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, but well, I'm so glad you're here today, and and I know in the past, um, Amanda Yuli has spoken with you, she and Liz Wasson, Liz Wasson, both when they were yep. doing guest hosting spots for Living yep. Writers, so um, or summer hosting, and so um, yeah, I just thank you for being such a uh, such a, a friend, uh, 
for the show as well as in in life. Well, these Keith. kinds of these kinds of things are important to me, and you know, we're poets after all. Yeah. So you got to take the chance you can get to yes. uh, to get the poems out there in the world, and this is a good chance. Yes, more poems, please. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, well, before we okay, I should say before we go any further, um, we do have your lovely new book, "All the Time You Want," selected poems on the table with us. Um, I'd like to read just as is our our convention, your short bio in the back, and then we'll go from there. Keith Taylor has authored or edited 18 books and chapbooks, the most recent of which, published in 2021, is Let Them Be Left, Isle Royale Poems. His last full-length collection, The Birdwile, was published by Wayne State University Press and won the bronze medal for the Forward Indies Poetry Book of the Year. He has received fellowships from the NEA and the Michigan Council for the Arts and Cultural Affairs, among others. After a series of mostly menial but formative jobs, I know the feeling, Keith, he worked for most of 20 years as a bookseller before teaching for a few years in the writing programs at the University of Michigan. For a few years. That was 20 years, too. But Yeah, it's a chunk of time. I was going to say, that's how I first met you. Yeah, yeah. I, didn't I, want it, I didn't want it to dominate. <laughs> the University of Michigan. Right, right. As a, I mean, it's a big presence. Yeah. It is. It is. It holds our license, yep. I think. Yeah. No. <laughs> Thanks for the building. Right. right. <laughs> Space. And the electricity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Especially on a cold day. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so... And now, when we were just talking about just before we came on air, um, like retiring, so for six years, six is years it now, yes, yes. And what's what's life been like? And what's the what are the poems like? Because we've got this book in the world, right. And another one coming. Well, this yeah, this book ends in two thousand seventeen, um, and and another sort of. Um, collection of poems that is a more studied collection. Um, the difference between that and the selected poems is significant. But that's um, essentially my COVID book. And that will that will be out in the fall. And it is called What Can the Matter Be? Oh. And the first poem is called Johnny's Too Long at the Fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, that book will be out in the fall. Maybe I'll come back and talk to you about that book. I too. would love that. Okay. I would, I, at the, I, and I'm already like... Was Johnny too long? <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, I, I, have, I, I sometimes think that that's a, a Taylor Swift song, except from oh, se- 1770. Oh. You know, that, that dastardly bastard of a guy. When you know, where did he go? What is he doing? Or did he die? You know, um, you know, where is Johnny? Um, but yeah, it's a 1770 song, um, and probably came to this continent by those young men in red coats who came to punish some people who didn't want to pay their taxes. So. Oh, jeez, yeah. yeah. And you, and you with Canadian roots yourself. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. We have, we think we think highly of some of those young men in red coats. No, no, we don't. We don't go with them. So, so Keith, did you? Was there? I mean, what was the method? Choosing nineteen seventy seven to twenty seventeen was it? Was yeah. it the numbers were pretty? Or? <laughs> the numbers are pretty. And it, it feels a little bit arbitrary, but there's a reason for it. So over the Christmas holiday of 1976 to 1977, Christmas, New Year's, I wrote the poem that I consider now my breakthrough poem. It was, the, It's not in here. 
it, yes. it's the poem where I was able to incorporate all my sort of self-education and my years in Europe and a really heavy dose of William Carlos Williams. And I, yeah. I came up with this poem. And I didn't put it in here because it feels a little too loose to me now. Um, but it's still a poem I'm very fond of. And so that was 77. 2017 was when I published my last full-length collection, The Birdwell. And that yeah, goes from 25 to 65. So that made sense. Um, and uh, so it's not completely arbitrary, although the numbers do look pretty. <laughs> they do. I do love a seven as well. Yeah. I definitely love a seven. And so when you say breakthrough poem, can you talk about what that means to you as a poet? Okay, sure. And how, how old you were, like-ish, you know, yeah. like what yeah. that meant for you? Um, I had... My education was was haphazard um, and moved around. I used it was partly the age I was at, graduating high school in 1970, um, and I, I went to I think f- five different universities in four different countries and got done in a reasonable. I think I got done in six years, um, and I was working the whole time. I spent several years in France and then spent a lot of time studying those French poets, 19th century French poets. So I amassed a kind of autodidact education about poetry, but I couldn't incorporate all this stuff. Um, when I lived in France, I was well, first 19 when I first went there, and I would try to have these conversations with these young French intellectuals, all of whom were had been part of 1968. So it was that uh, France in 1968, that revolutionary theoretical stuff um and i could there's no way i heady. could heady stuff yeah. yes no way i could impress these people with things that i knew where i did impress them is they really liked the idea that i came from mennonite farmers in western canada so you know it was like i had to think about that for a long time so you know and then a few years after that i get i'm living in michigan up in mid michigan and i'm putting all this stuff together i spent a lot of time with william carlos williams and I wrote this poem, which is an elegy for uh, an uncle of mine who who was not neural neuronormal. He was uh, hydrocephalic, um, died young, and it was like this just poured out of me. And it was like, wow, this is so different. It's three pages long. My poems are never still aren't very often that long. The, one of the few times in my life, I immediately took it and read it to a friend. I don't usually do that, um, but I did with that poem, and it, things changed. And then I also went around and did my first readings in Michigan, up in Traverse City, up in Saginaw, and uh, people just, you know, loved that poem. So it was called Elegy for Norman Taylor, and uh, uh, it's hard to find now, but if I ever do a collected poems, it'll be in there. And uh, um, it opened things up and in interesting ways. Formally, uh, my, made me much more comfortable with my voice. I wasn't straining after a certain level of language um, and uh, uh, got over formal restrictions that I'd placed on myself. So things really opened up for me. So that's why 77. 2017 is because that was in the last the bird full fire. collection was out. And so the poems after 17, 2017 will be in the next book. So Yes, yes. And was that... Um was the breakthrough, did it happen when you were in the Masters at Central It was. I, I was doing a Masters at Central, although I was doing it in prose. I was, oh. I, was, I was writing a lot of poetry, and I was publishing poetry, but my Masters was supposed to be in prose. So then I moved down to Ann Arbor, working in bookstores, and I was never going to finish it until a very good friend up there, Eric Torgerson, called me up one day and said, Keith, your seven years is running out. I said, oh, well, Eric, you know, I was... Wait, said, what does he mean, seven years? He had seven years to do your master's. Um, there was a time limit on it. Um, oh. And I had done everything except the thesis. 
And so Eric was a tremendously sweet guy and a smart guy. Uh, but uh, he said, Keith, just type up the poems you've published since you started here and we'll give you a master's. And I was hemming and hawing and said, no, Eric, that's not fair. And he says, Keith, I'm giving you a chance here. If you don't do it, it will be bohemian affectation. <laughs> so wow, he, call, he, called he called you me. on it. He did, and he was right. It would be bohemian yeah, yeah. affectation. So yeah. I, uh, I, Academia. I finished. And I'm glad I did because I ended up working at U of M, and they would have never given me the job if I didn't have some advanced degree. So, um, so everything kind of in its time or with yeah. its, yeah. I was very lucky. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> gosh. And that was, that was you were... Were you at Shaman Drum when you were worked, doing that? Yeah, or? I worked when I when I first came to Ann Arbor. I actually worked at Ulrich's, which is I think it's gone now, isn't it? Oh. Um, you know, slog and textbooks. And then my mother was dying, so I went out west to be with her. Came back and worked for Borders, and I worked for Borders for eight years till they went corporate. Um, and then then I, I worked for Shaman Drum for the, the next ten years. And then in that time, was publishing a lot, getting some books out and doing more pickup teaching at the university. They would ask me to fill in um, for when graduate students like you decided they really couldn't teach. And so they'd call Keith. And Wait, go, hey, I, I taught. I, I, I mean, my students do. might have suffered, but yeah, I made it through. Yeah. <laughs> did they call you for me? Were they, they never like, called. No, no, no. Red no, alert. No, red no, alert. No, no, the, the people they called before left town. Um, oh, so oh. One, but that group. Um, yeah. So uh, I did that. And then I did, a, you know, I did a pretty good job and so they finally asked me to to for a real job um in 2000 so i taught from 2000 to 2018 and what was that was that something like how did that feel for your own work too because you you built something uh, and a way of being you know and ideas and how you would make i, I imagine yeah. through those years yeah I, certainly and and but i was when i began formally teaching when that was my job not just the pickup thing um i was 47 years old so i was not young enough to be radically altered personally um and you know my academic friends don't like me to say this but you work in a bookstore and you work 40 50 sometimes 60 hours a week 50 weeks a year um and uh, a lot on the five holidays. and sometimes six six weeks six days a week and you go to the university and you get five months off a year uh, by my count, and uh, unless you uh, would go to the bio station, right? Yeah. I did that, and, and Bear River, right? <laughs> right. So, you, so I did did do other things, but but um, five months off a year, I came into the university three days a week. Um, I, you know, you taught to smart young people about poetry. Uh, this did not feel. This was not nearly as hard a work as working in a bookstore. <laughs> Um, yeah. And and again, I have I have yeah. friends across the street who who uh, who get mad at me when I say things like that. You know, no, no one turn off your radio. <laughs> right. <laughs> but working in a bookstore, so it was a real relief, and I and I it was great for me. Plus the resources of the university, which incredible, was incredible. Yeah. So you know, I got a lot of work done between two thousand and retirement, and that has still continued. And also with. Um, with going to Greece, right, and your translation, and because yeah, we've talked about that in the, in in the past now too. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. That was a, and that was a great experience. That was just a, uh, ten years of of work on this tra translation thing, and got me over to Greece, both by winning fellowships there and the university paying expenses. So, worked out really well. Yeah, and well, got a book that was published in Europe. So, which is. So exciting. It is, yeah. Especially after when I think of 
I mean, you probably wanted to send a copy of books to one of the characters that figure into one of your poems and all the time you want. Um, the the um, There's a character that you show your one copy of poems. I think oh, it takes yes. place yes. In, in France, France. Yes, in southern in France. France. Is um, it? Yes. It was, uh, yeah, actually, the, 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 I met her in southern France, um, but we had moved to Paris. Uh, huh. So this is, this is actually Paris. I'll read you the poem. So I did a whole series of little eight-line poems. This was one of them. Moments in my life that seemed to be belonging poems, but I didn't want to squat a long time on them. So, right. uh, and she was, you know, she was a character. She's in another poem too, but uh, um, she was tough. She was, you know, those those French people can of, of our gener of my generation could be tough. A criticism of my French poems. Our relationship was probably over by then, but I let her read the only copies, each clean and short with simple, fragile lines. She walked past the window, reached out, and dropped them all. I saw poems fluttering onto streets or into those clipped Parisian trees, some caught a breeze floating up, away. It was a tempestuous relationship. Um, we were going to get married at one point, but uh, I realized that, you know, she was older, she was French, she was a little bit mad, and, you know, when you're a 20-year-old North American from a rural thing with artistic ambitions, and there's an older, slightly insane French woman who is in love with you, it's like, oh, it's like you died and got to heaven. Then you get to be 22, 23, and you realize, oh, this might be a little harder work than I want it to be. So I'll go back to North America. <laughs> and and then, um, and maybe that keep be able to have your poems then too so right. they won't exactly. be floating exactly. away um but that also feels like this moment of like release too where it felt like you you learned many things in that moment i did i did and you know not i mean in those days you could imagine being samuel beckett you know who was an english speaker who wrote wonderfully in french and there was a lot of us young writers in paris who thought poverty-stricken young writers in Paris who thought we were going to be Samuel Beckett. But I was not meant to write poems in French. That was not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a short break. I'm so glad you write them in English because I don't, I, I don't know French, Keith. So this is it's, Good. It's, it's all the better for me, people like me. Um, today on Living Writers, all the time you want, selected poems, 27 nights. No, 20. What is wrong with my reading? 1977 to 2017. Keith Taylor is here in the studio. We've got Jason behind the glass. We'll be back. Thanks. But my love By the guesswork's wall Dream the dream By the old canal I kiss my girl By the factory wall Dirty old town Dirty old town Drifting across 
Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, so glad you did. You've got Living Writers today. Keith Taylor is here all the time you want. Selected Poems, 1977 to 2017. Keith, thanks for choosing today's music for the program. It all means something to me, whether it'll mean something to anyone else is another question. Let's talk Pogues. Okay, the Pogues. Um, In 1971, when I left the United States and was on my way to France, although I didn't know I was on my way to France, I did spend about three to four months in Ireland. And I got to taste for all this this flavor of music. Um, and no, the Pogues wouldn't have been around then. They would have been 10 years old. Um, but um, when when I started listening to the Pogues, it was it rang the bell. It was the music I heard in, in pubs in the west of Ireland uh, in 1971. And how, how did you decide to go to Ireland? What was the story of landing there first? Well, um, one of the fancy schools I went to was uh, Cambridge. Um, and I was in summer school in Cambridge. I left the United States after one year in college. I had no intention of going back. Went on a one-way ticket. But I had this scholarship to go to school in Cambridge. So I went to school. And then I, at the end of that, in August, I just hitched north. Went to the... Uh, Slept on the street and went to the Edinburgh Festival um, and, you know, did that. Then just kept hitchhiking north and starting those groups of friends who used to meet hitchhiking. And somebody said they knew of a ferry that went from Campbelltown, Scotland, which is the end of a peninsula opposite Glasgow, just across the Irish Sea um, to Northern Ireland, which was the Troubles, by the way. Yes. And it cost a pound. So I said, well, I'm going to Ireland. Went there. Walked through most of Northern Ireland since nobody was picking up hitchhikers there. Right, um, right. And then got to the Republic, County Donegal. Um, went out to an island, Aranmore Island, where there was a youth hostel, and got there just as the warden of the youth hostel was quitting. And he said, you want to take over? And I said, sure. So I ended up being, the, at 19 years old, was the <laughs> warden of the youth hostel. And, <laughs> warden Keith Taylor. Yes, and... and <laughs> People were supposed I thought to, you were going to say something with sheep. This no, I didn't no, get, no, no know, sheep. No sweat, sweaters, no. People were supposed to say three days. I had people who had been there six weeks. Uh, you're supposed to close at 11, <laughs> but this was an island that had seven pubs and no police, so the pubs never closed. And there was no way I was going to be back by 11, so I just <laughs> let it stay open. And, you know, you had a boys' dorm and a girls' dorm, and I had a boys' dorm and a girls' dorm and a couples' dorm. It was 1971, so uh, they found out in Dublin and they fired me. Oh, no. <laughs> So I, then I went to France. <laughs> but those were three good months. <laughs> yeah, they were. They were a good time. Yes. Yeah. And and so and did you go to France next because you knew you wanted to read those nineteenth century poets or well, what they, drew you? They were there, but but it was also you know Ezra Pound and Hemingway oh, and all that yes. that myth which is fifty years old already by then. But I you know I I was self taught so I didn't really know, um, and uh, and I'd met some really interesting French people including the woman who I was in, in England. <laughs> Um, so, uh, I went there for that. On my way to Europe, I went through New York. I took a bus. I was living in South Bend, Indiana. I took, I took a bus to New York. First time I was ever in New York. 36 hours, just walk the streets. Just walk the streets. You know, sort of overwhelmed. 36 by, hours. Yeah. And then got on this charter flight to, to Frankfurt. And, um, that was almost exactly the same time Patty Smith moved from New Jersey to New York. 
And she got a job in the bookstore. And I was thinking, man, if I was as cool as Patti Smith, I would have known to stay in New York. I didn't have to go and live some 50-year-old dream in Paris. I could have just stayed in New York and been as cool as Patti Smith. The difference is she took care of herself. I'd probably be dead if I'd lived in New York in the 1970s. Well, 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 and I'm glad she got through, too. Yeah, I yeah. mean, yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's something. But I, I think, I mean, I, it's hard to imagine... I know you're joking when you say that anyway, Keith, but it is hard to imagine you changing anything because these experiences of yours, I mean, for me also now, I'm like having just read all the time you want. It's It feels so present, even though these are parts of your life that, that, um, because even though we're saying 1977 to 2017, there's a note to the reader at the beginning because these poems are, are stories from, from your beginnings. Oh, really. yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of them are, and some of them are fairly, you know, recent. I mean, it starts out with some of those poems about my rural, very conservative religious upbringing in Alberta. But some of that comes in much later. I mean, there's a poem about my father's conversion, which was written 30 years, yeah, maybe 25 or 30 years after those first poems. So, Why did you start with the dancing poems in the, well, in the yeah, collection? Um, that was my first chapbook. In 1985, when I was on this show, I was talking about my little chapbook called Learning to Dance because dancing was a sin. Um, and in we, the Mennonites. Yeah, yes, yes. It was just one of the – one poem, which is not in here, but I uh, I say the, the endless lists of, list of forbidden joys that governed our waking. Just about anything that was any fun was a sin, um, except for horseback riding. And uh, – um, Interesting. <laughs> so dancing was a sin. And then, I, you know, I was already with Christine, my wife, and she's a dancer. And she was dancing then, and she still teaches dance to kids 40 years later. Um, so, um, you know, the dance opened up. And that started in France. I started – they wanted to dance in, – in, in the early 70s, they wanted to dance like they see Americans dance in movies, which they didn't – and so they thought I could do that. And it was just, you know, going out there and – being silly <laughs> and they thought I was dancing like an American so it was like cool <laughs> uh, so I was learning to dance that uh, the, that little chapbook ended with the lines if I can remember them forget that I could never forget my name or something else or shake my badass in the air so that was, that was the end of that chapbook and I said that on the air at CBN before so, so, so okay, we're good to go <laughs> Okay, well, dancing also, not only is it the holy dance that opens yep. the book and then first dance as the second um, second poem, the cover is also... Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's an it, interesting one. So right across the street in, in the University of Michigan Museum of Art, there's that wonderful painting um, by Whistler um, called Sea and Rain. And it's basically a color abstract, you know, except he's got this faded little figure down in the front corner. Um, and that, that suddenly says, oh, it's sea and rain, because that little figure makes it real. And at the same time, because so then Christine danced, so I was part of the dance world. I had done some work with Jessica Fogel, retired now, but she taught dance at the U of M's dance school. We'd done some big projects together, one of which was a site-specific dance she did. It was premiered on the shores of Muskegon Lake, which is you know part of Lake Michigan. I wrote a poem for that. Then another friend... Um, former student from 25 years ago, um, 
Her name is Elizabeth Schmuel. Oh, she's yes, friend of the show. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And she, so she did a dance that she recorded on the, on the shore of Lake Michigan. And it was like, it was just, you know, black and white on a phone. But, but there was sand, lake, sky. Just really, you know, Rothko. Um, Beautiful. Yeah. And, and, and then and her, her dancing. Yes. And so, you know, so that was, so I wrote that poem coming off of the Whistler poem with these two dance things in my mind. This guy who did this painting, summer of 22, uh, a woman, oh, what's her name? Freeze. Uh, Jen Freeze? Something Freeze. Uh, curator at, at, at the museum. Put together a show called Watershed. And, and, and it was a wonderful show. And she commissioned these pieces. And she knew this Syrian painter, painter Khaled Al-Sa'i, and said, you know, do a painting for us. And he looked up online, that little poem of mine, that nine lines, was on the Academy of American Poets, so, you know, it gets millions of readers. Um, and he found that poem, translated it into Arabic, then used the words and letters of his Arabic translation of my poem to make this swirling, dancing figure that's on the cover of the book, which is very cool. It's beautiful. And so those are actually like the the Arabic some some of them you some can of see. you could yeah. make out letters make to out. see I, the yeah. words. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful because there's movement yeah. here, yeah, isn't yeah. there? And of it's, water. It's, and you know, it's a dancing figure. It is. Yeah. And dancing water. And dancing water, water as yeah, if yeah, it's yeah, yeah. So it's very and, and I'm not even sure he well, he must have known the Whistler painting. He he spent time in Ann Arbor. So um but it's a really, but, or he might not have, and you were the bridge yeah, exactly. to it because yeah, your poem yeah, was the yeah, bridge. Yeah. yeah, well, here, let me read that poem. Yes, some, people, some people will know that painting. Um, if not, go look at it. It's up on the, uh, on the second floor um, walkway there next to the Monet with the Rodin maquettes between them. So it's a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful painting. Um, sea and Rain, colon, Lake Michigan, after James McNeil Whistler, 1865. There is a dance at water's edge, a movement between the lake, its sand, and the horizon where lake becomes cloud. Between those lines, our worlds a thin wash of muted tones, beige and gray with a hint of white, almost abstract, until the dancer steps out into the pool. She makes the whole thing real. Thank you. Sure. Thank you, Keith. Um, so I used to uh, make, and early, not many people did this back when I was first doing it, but uh, make my students go to the art museum and write ecrastic poems. Yes. Now everybody does it, but, yes. but I was one of the Trailblazer, first. Trailblazer, Trailblazer. <laughs> that, that was me. And there's several ecrastic yes, poems yes. in I, I, in all the time you want. Yeah. This one as well as others, yeah. Yeah, art, art, uh, visual art has been important to me. Um, and collaboration. And collaboration has been important to me. Certainly that, that was the university resources. I mean, just the university was open. To, to finding ways to collaborate with with other arts, with the sciences. Um, with music. With music, absolutely. Um, yeah. And that's also how we have the title the poem, title poem yes. of All the Time You Want yeah. is another collaboration. It is, with, and with commissioned the, 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 the composer out on the, uh, at North Campus in the School of Music uh, named Evan Chambers. He was commissioned by the University of Michigan Symphony Orchestra to write a symphonic song cycle. And he had a he had a residency at McDowell, I think, and went to one of those old cemeteries, um, in in northern New England. Yeah, where so would, old. <laughs> yeah, and he'd get the poems that are on those grave things, and he he would copy them down if he could read them, and he wrote these songs, and then he commissioned 
five poets to write poems um, that did this. And I was at the time doing a lot of work with my Irish immigrant relatives, their very sad history in, in Western Canada. So I, I And I'd spent a lot of time in this very almost abandoned graveyard where they're buried. So I wrote a poem about that, and then he used that as the first of these spoken poems. So the piece, which is called The Old Burying Ground, begins with a, an introduction, and then it goes to me reading that poem. Um, and I had to read it at Carnegie Hall, by the way, which was, had to, got to, which was a trip to read this poem about my desperately poor Irish immigrants in that elaborate very ornate place. So. Such such a setting, such, such a moment. A setting, yes. And as well as the Carytown Concert Hall, <laughs> <Yes>. Hill Auditorium, <laughs> yes. Cornell, Oberlin, very good, very like good. these yes. other like places, other places yes. where yes. this this yes. music and po- the yeah. poem yeah. was together. So. Well let's hear it. Let's okay, hear sure, some. It. And then would you read the poem for sure, us after? Sure. Happy to. Okay. Um you've got Living Writers today. Keith Taylor is here and now we'll hear the old burial the old burying ground. The burying. All the time you want. Take the chain from the gate. Walk in. No one really cares. Most of the stones have faded, are cracked, or broken. Designed as a churchyard like the ones left behind in the old country, the yard outlasted its church. All the kids who could moved to town years ago. Someone mows, but not often. Here you are free to invent whatever tales you need. Please. Take all the time you want. See that obelisk barely a yard tall, tilting over in the back corner, about to fall? It marks another common story, early death, illness, and a miserable marriage. If you think you have some time, you can pick weeds from the plot or try to write that stone. There's little else to do here. So I went Thank out you. with it when the orchestra went out there on the stage at Carnegie Hall, and I went out... And I'm looking around, and I'm thinking about these desperately poor people. My great-grandmother killed herself to get away from great-grandfather and the poverty of the homestead. And I'm looking, and then I said, Keith, you got to stop thinking about this. You're going to break out crying in front of 2,500 people in Carnegie Hall. So, uh, you know, I started thinking about something else. I could get up there and read the poem. But, uh, but what, yeah, what was, did you think about? Like, I, like knows? some, yeah. like canoeing. I always yeah. think Keith, canoeing. sometimes I'm like, <laughs> when Keith is happy, he's out like on a new, like potentially new waterway Wouldn't with the, you know, some, yes. you know, shorebirds. Yeah. And I think that I did my sister actually, who has not heard me read very often. And she came from the West Coast with her husband. And I think I was looking out in the audience to see if I could pick them up and I could I I found them (laughs) that's always a good touchstone isn't it it is yeah Yeah. yeah. but yeah it was it was something a very moving piece that Evan Evan did Evan Chambers did Um, and uh, so you know with the beautiful songs and of course he had the the professional singers singing those 
And I was there, Richard Tillinghast, who was a Michigan guy, Tom Lynch, who you know, yes, uh, yeah. Jane Hirschfeld, wonderful poet oh, from California, and Paula Meehan, a, a, an Irish poet, came over for this. So, oh. Yeah, it was fun. And you, so you were the, the five that yeah. he, he Yeah, worked. we were all together at Hill Auditorium. They were, we were not all together. There were only three of us at Carnegie Hall, Jane Hirschfeld, Tom, and me. So, oh. yeah. Lovely. Well, thank, well, thank you for, for reading. Certainly this all the time you want it's a it's a it's a gorgeous title too makes a good title doesn't it yeah i uh yeah i was a little uncertain about it at the beginning but then when it was there and then the editor smart young editor at design books um she liked it and the the publisher um was an ann arbor guy um and he he liked it so it's like okay, we'll go with that, and it's been growing on me. So was there because was there a time that it had a different title that it wasn't this wasn't the title poem that was yeah. and where you had put it in the right. the order? And well, and the order is another interesting question. What do you do with the order with those little selected poems? But um, it did. I had like five or six titles, and I can't remember one of them now. So <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I have a manuscript where they're all written down, but I can't remember one of them right now. Well, it's somewhere. It's, it's somewhere. somewhere. It's yes. in it's in Keith Taylor's collected papers. Right. There we go. Whatever's going to happen yeah. to those. Well, yeah. we've got a library here, Keith. We do. So, we do. We um, have to interest them in, in my papers, though. It's well. <laughs> hello out there, librarians. I think archivists. Um, so, um, but all the time you want. I love that you. It's growing on you <laughs> too. It just feels interesting because it's also a way of it fighting with itself. Since we've got seventy-seven to twenty seventeen, right? And That's so all it's the like, time you have. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> so it's already like, yeah. oh, it's this invitation, but it's complicated, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, what? Let's talk about the order. Well, I mean, I decided to do chronological as much as I and chronological when I first started the poem so there's poems in here that were not published well I mean fairly early on there's a poem about taking the poet William Stafford to the to the Arb which right. which I had totally forgotten um, and a friend found it in his file so I just rewrote it a little bit but and don't you it, love that Keith? yeah like oh, you yeah, have yeah. poems out in the world right. that people have <laughs> you no longer have them right, you right. don't even remember them but they're out there yeah, yeah. and then they present themselves yeah, to you and yeah. now for example this one is here in the yeah, selected yeah, which was you know so that was that was fun but I know I wrote it in the mid 80s sometime um, so and yeah. that really uh, that really happened yeah it really it really happened yeah. William Stafford huh? William Stafford and the, the, the guy who asked me was an English professor here named Stephen Dunning, who was uh, English in education, he started the English in education PhD here for one thing. So he was, he had an influence here. He's been gone now for fifteen, maybe even twenty years. Um, and uh, but yeah, he used to he used to be a friend of Stafford. So whenever Stafford was in the Midwest, he'd stay in Ann Arbor, over by the Arb. Um, but I had to go to work, so I couldn't take him on his bird walk. <laughs> I know those are those are true things, though. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Well, William Stafford, he should have made another trip to Ann Arbor. He did. He made a bunch. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Before the MFA program started, which, you know, got people like you here and brought in a lot of visiting writers, we went, and after Donald Hall was gone, so there was a five- or six-year period where there really weren't very many writers coming through the university, which is hard to believe. And bookstores didn't bring in writers. Um, so, you know, it was it was – so one of the few people we saw – regularly was William Stafford. We could see him every other year or so for a while in there. Um, but but then that all changed. By, you know, by the time you got here, we had too many writers coming in. So many writers. Yeah. So, 
the whole on the national landscape so exactly. different as well. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we definitely always need more poems in the world and things that people are making. So that's good. that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, so uh, for picking out um, like these poems, how did you decide? Like this poem will be included in yeah. this lineup. Is it is it building like a, a movement and an arc within the poems themselves? That's well certainly the way you know you put the usual book of poems, and I've done five books that are put together that way, where you you impose an order, on, or you you know maybe you find an order that's within the poems, but you, you you try to work around that order or that arc. This was different. This this I just got poems, some of which I thought deserved more of a life in the world. Uh-huh. And I excluded poems that have had a life in the world. That, that uh, uh, you know, if there's, there, there are poems in here that I've already, or poems not in here that I've already gotten some grief from, from the five people in the world who know my work. Um, and, uh, really? Wait, you mean because they, they wonder why? Why is that poem not in there? Why is oh, that poem no. not in there? You know? Keith, remember there was one time you were here and you were like, is someone calling in? Because we were reading some of the the religious or the spiritual oh, yeah, poems. Yeah. And we're like, oh, no. <laughs> but sorry, go on. Yeah. So I, I picked the ones that that uh, that I felt, the poems I liked that I felt didn't get enough play, published in some obscure journal and then in some obscure chapbook, and that was it. I published poems that people had liked that I didn't, that had not that had disappeared from my radar, but somebody said, "Oh, I really like that poem." And, um, oh. um, and uh, did Christine also have a say in this? No, some no, of these are for her. They are. Well, the whole book is for her, and there's a yeah, lot of love poems. Look, I, I, there were there are a lot of love poems in here, and I didn't know I'd really. I there mean, are. I, you know, I knew I'd written love poems, but I didn't know that I'd written that many. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, you know, and that was fun to discover. There were a lot of things I discovered in here. Um, partly that the religious upbringing did not go away even though i tried so hard to make it go away i mean let's um, look at the the two last poems on that note too i will lift up mine eyes yeah the forge and then the forger's education uh, so, the, so you end up with with a poem that's quoting the psalms as in the title second to last poem and the other poems about art so it's not responding to a particular piece of art although it is responding to vermeer um but then and then then the other one I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, <laughs> says Psalm 100 and something. Oh, my goodness. 117. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, and so uh, these are things that you're also seeing by choosing and by putting these yeah, poems yeah. next to and each then, other. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But but you really governed by chronology. So you end up with, you know, an image that appears in early and then coming back late. And it's like, wow, isn't that weird? Uh, I didn't get away from that image. It did went through 40 years of you went through a lifetime you know so that was kind of fun and is there there are also elements of identity then like as poets sometimes we 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 wouldn't see it for ourselves yeah. but yeah. but the the way is like how um for example uh uh i like i'll port I'll, uh, I'll yes isle royale national park yeah and and, and birds. Yeah, birds. Well, birds I knew. I mean, that's, I sort of, if I have, well, I guess the, yes. If I have any kind of a reputation in the world, it's as a nature writer from Michigan. And I'm fine with that. I have no problem with that at all. Um, I'm proud of it, even. Yes. But, but uh, this poem, this book, really, I toned that down a little bit. There are, there are fewer nature, there are nature poems in here, but there are fewer of them than, than, People who know my work from the last twenty years would 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 think. Um, I do have four poems from Isle Royal, 
The way the way you pronounce that is interesting. So Canadians pronounce it correctly. They say Ile Royale. Americans oh. always say Isle Royal. Oh. You go somewhere in the in between teeth. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Isle, Isle Royale. <laughs> um, so, um, uh, but Isle, the Isle Royale poems, and I, I was lucky enough to twice have. Uh, of artisan residencies on the national park, which is which was very fortunate. Good. What was that like? Because because there's well, some with a wolf. And, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the the wolf poems are in here, and um, the uh, uh, they started. There's there's been an artist in residence program in national parks really since the 19th century, because the arts were so important for the creation of the national parks. Those paintings and photographs and from the 19th century that we've all seen. Um, so they try to, you know, they've been trying to give back. Isle Royale started one kind of late. Isle Royale is a, is a wilderness park. It's the least visited national park in the lower 48 because you have to work hard to get to it. Um, and, and there's no amenities, very few amenities there. So you pretty much have to carry your backpack and, and food and things. Um, luckily, the artist in residence, when you're, when you're picture of that, you get one of the old cabins, which is out at the end of a long peninsula. Um, very isolated and uh, no running water, no heat, um, no electricity. Of course. When did you go? What was uh, the was... first? The first time I went was 1991, so that was the first year they did it, and I was one of the first three artists they picked. Um, and then the, the second time was 2019, just before COVID, when they came to me and asked me to go back. Um, so 1991, I was 39 years old. I was still pretty vigorous, still strong in the canoe, uh, and you know was used to being. I'd done a lot of things in the bush in my life. Uh, 2019, I was, what, um, 67, 68, uh, maybe 68, 69, and it was like, you know, I never do anything to stay in shape. I just always assume my body's going to respond, and my body doesn't respond anymore. So uh, canoeing was harder, you know. I ended up, I was a good canoeist at one point, but I, Lake Superior ended up throwing me in the water, very, I, very cold water. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, my legs were sore and I couldn't climb around very much. So it was a, it was a humbling experience being back in the bush uh, at, at, you know, your late 60s. And with, with the, um, the, the poem, I think one of the poems that I'm thinking of that was here was there was a wolf is that oh yeah i mean i royal i royal is is famous i mean it's i royal is a is a natural laboratory for the for um uh this the study of of predators and prey a lot of what we know in the world about um the relationship between um predator and prey we've learned from studying the wolves and the moose on Isle royal uh and then the wolves were became inbred and and almost died out, and then it was a big fight between the National Park Service and the scientists whether they were going to introduce wolves on the island because oh. the National Park mandate is to have it wilderness, so you just let what happened going to happen. Oh. The scientists made the case that the, the moose would go nuts and destroy the vegetation, so they ended up winning. They reintroduced in 2018, 2019, they reintroduced wolves, so there are wolves there again that are being studied. Um, so it's real interesting, but yeah, the, when I was there... Uh, in 91, there was still a pretty big pack of wolves. There were still almost 30 wolves. Um, and I had I, I didn't see any wolves. Um, I've seen wolves in other places, but I didn't see them there. I did see a print. But yes. I, had, I had this dream. So the first series of poems about Isle Royal was called Dream of the Black Wolf. And this is the title poem of that. A quick glimpse in my eye's corner. Black wolf running, always running. Ears back fur shaggy hackles up a touch of white or silver on its belly beside the lake over rock 
and lost between spruce and cedar before I turn. And there's another one where I see a wolf print in the sand. Because you get the canoe. And the canoe gets is, yeah, is lodged. Another, you know, yeah. one, one of these things I didn't know existed in the world, but it's called a seish, where the it's a it's almost a tidal thing that happens in in bays and estuaries, even in fresh water, where the water turns. Except it happens immediately, and I was <laughs> canoeing comfortably in a stream that disappeared. Uh, and there I was, and I looked to the left, and there's a there's a big wolf print. So. Yes, and then yeah. and it's so lovely. There's a moment where you're watching it fill with yes, the water, and then your, yeah, your canoe, yeah, and my canoe people, floats out. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also too. I know. Um, I love the bear stories, the more prose poems yeah, that yeah. you also have here that are yeah. connected. Um, that's a that's a different point in the in the, that's probably too long to read, but but uh, that's a different point of my life in the bush. That was the summer I turned seventeen where I worked up in the Yukon. 17 years old. Because it feels like there's so much fearlessness yeah. involved. And then there's this moment with the, the grizzly when you're in a tree. Yeah. And there's real fear yeah. as well. <laughs> well, when I was on, on the side of a mountain, I was above the tree line looking down at the bear. Um, and it was, you know, a long ways away, length of a football field away. Um, but it's a grizzly and they're big beasts. And I'm a 17-year-old boy, and I did not have a gun. And there's nothing on that mountain except me and this big-ass grizzly bear. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> so it's humbling. It's and and also and it because to me I was thinking there is like this thread through through um, the 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 poems where um, they like unexpectedly to me like I I knew we would have. Like we would have nat like nature and the wildness, yeah, yeah. Um, and then but then the love there and different relationships yeah. and ways of love being, um, and I would even argue like to the that I will lift up mine eyes and the forger's education our love poems, um, yeah, yeah. but fear, the presence of fear yeah. runs through this. It's named several times in yeah, different poems yeah. as well. And and I thought and the conversely fearlessness like no fear like with hitchhiking yeah yeah hitchhiking yeah um, it was a different time though you could a lot of people were hitchhiking even women are hitchhiking alone but by the end of the poem it's there's fear. fear oh absolutely yeah absolutely I think you know the the story of Christopher McCandless in in uh, Into the Wild the you know the movie and the and the book um, and I've often and I was up very close to where he was um, but I survived I didn't do what he did partly because I wasn't as stupid as he was. Um, and so, and I was not that stupid because I was a little fearless. But I look at him very sympathetically because there but for the grace of God go I. I'd, I'd walk 40 miles out in the bush with nothing but some rice and a gun. Sure, I would have done that. Um, I would have made sure I had a way back. <laughs> but, uh, um, but you can get turned around, which your poems show us too. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah, a poem yeah. where the, the character... It does, and yeah. manages in snowshoes four feet yeah. above yeah. the snow line. But that character is me. I, I didn't want to presume, <laughs> but I was like, uh, yeah, I was, <laughs> "Thanks, Keith." I was lost on snowshoes, <laughs> snowshoes, and and when I did come out, um, is that in the poem or not? That I smelled myself, and it was a smell I very seldom ever smelled since. And it was oh, this was the smell of fear. Yeah, uh, and it was you know it was. Like today, it was two degrees out in a heavy snowstorm, and I was lost in the woods on snow, in four feet of snow on, on, uh, in snowshoes, and I thought I was going to die. 
uh, but I, I managed to come out. So yeah, there have been moments like that. That was stupid. Yeah, I was as stupid as Christopher McCandless then. Luckily, I was in northern Michigan, not in Alaska. So, <laughs> and and you did, and and somehow you found you found the road, like you found the trail I did. back. Came, came and back to my friends. Yeah, um, this is this is just the end, the fourth section of a of a poem about walks, several different walks in my life that I remember, and this is the fourth one. A walk in the Manistee National Forest on snowshoes, probably four feet on the ground already and more snow falling. And I lost direction out in the scrub oak and jack pine, then wandered for hours hearing only raven croaks and the deceptively close nuthatch calls, nasal and metallic, until I stumbled upon a snowed-under, fire-access, two-track road I vaguely remembered and found my way back to my friends, their cabin, their wood stove, and fire. But, yeah, they remember it, too. They, they sat there for a long time, you know, drinking beer, maybe smoking something, and uh, thinking, where's Keith? Where's Keith? Where's Keith? And finally they said, oh, we better go look for Keith. And they were just about to go out the door when I showed up. So, yeah. Thank goodness. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so the wildness, it's, 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 yeah. it's in, it's. It's in you, but so is the respect for the... Yeah, you, and, and, yeah. I mean, if, if you want to survive, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people who go into the bush who seem to have, who seem to have um, self-destructive impulses um, and don't take as good a care. Or, you know, just the, the sort of extreme sport thing of it. I want to do this, and I want to do this by myself. Yeah, some sort um, of the pride of it. Yeah, somehow. yeah. Um, it's blinding. And I was always, I mean, you know, I would travel by myself and things, but I would always... Make sure I had an out somewhere, or try, thought I had an out, yeah. and and luckily, you know, I didn't kill myself. So yes. I'm glad I didn't. I'm so glad. Yeah, I'm so <laughs> glad. Um, Keith, you mentioned that you have a poem that you've memorized too. This is I, so. I was back in Alrel. Those poems are going to be in the. They were in a chapbook I did uh, in 21 called "Let Them Be Left," um, and it's just four lines long. And it's going to be in this new next book of poems. And the little poem is just called "Bushwhacking." Now I've got to remember it. Bushwhacking. Scratches on my arms and a gouge across my head. I feel better than I've felt in months. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I, love <laughs> I, th I thought it might be a little macho, but it's been the poem that people remember from that the most. So. That's, and what, what, other, what, what poems are, are you working on now? What is it? Um, so after I put that book together of the COVID and post-COVID poems, um, uh, I you know that I mean I'm getting old now. I'll turn seventy-two this year, and there are these little moments in my life that um, that I know and want to be preserved. Um, Nineteen eighty-one, when I went to Southern California to be with my mother who was dying, and when I smoked, I'd go out in her backyard. Um, to smoke, she was dying of cancer. I didn't want to smoke in the house, and I remember it was April, and the irises were opening in California, and and I could hear them open, as the lead, as the petals strained and strained and strained, and then went poof. So I wrote a poem called "Irises in California." I'm writing little memories like that that are not going to get away. I didn't have a copy; I could have read it. It's only nine lines long. But uh, well, I'm not, I couldn't, maybe I couldn't have read it because I might cry if I read it. But, um, you know, poems like that, the little moments of memory um, that I don't want to forget, you know. And a lot of them have to do with the oak trees in my backyard in Ann Arbor. So maybe I'll do a chapbook of oak tree poems. So we'll see. And maybe <laughs> images, too. And they're, yeah, they're all very imagistic, you know. Um, bugs, plants and bugs and birds, of course. Um, 
just, I mean, I live right in town, and it's not a big thing to many people, but I just had a deer run through my yard yesterday. <laughs> it's only a half mile from downtown Ann Arbor, so. And this, yeah. the skunks are somewhere. The skunks are there. I got skunk poems. There's a skunk poem in I there. know. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> it was too vivid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I still live in fear of the skunks yeah, if they're the coming skunks out. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But, but these moments, Keith, and, and feeling like you're, um, how, well, like, are you, when you're drafting them, what are you, are you finding the images in your mind or your memories or how are you working from notebooks where you have these or I how do, is the... I do have notebooks, um, but, um, and often when the memories are preserved, they're preserved in the notebooks, although I'm remembering them when I write about them. Yeah. And I'm probably distorting them, you know, but that's okay. <laughs> well, well, um, but what is memory? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's an editing process. So. And as many times as we think of the thought yeah it could even be changed yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah um and maybe all be a lie <laughs> but a good lie the the what tell the truth but tell it slant is that what our em- emily said <laughs> yes yeah, emily yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and so you'll be you'll be telling the truth and telling it slant on this coming tuesday this coming tuesday tuesday at next Hanover public library down on downtown Hanover. And this will be for your book. Yes, this all will the be time the official want. launch of the book. All of the book is already in the bookstores, but yeah. So official launch. Literati yep. will be there. Literati the will good be folks there. of they're Literati. The, they're the sponsor of the event with the library. And, and you'll be you'll be reading. Will you be? I'll read. I'll take a couple of questions probably, and then I'll sign books and hopefully start at six thirty and and. You know, maybe I'll read for half an hour, take 10 minutes of questions, and then sign books so we can be yeah. out of the librarians here when they want to close the library. So, at eight. <laughs> I'm so glad you're in Ann Arbor, Keith Taylor. Me too. It's been good to me. It's been a good, the town has been good to me. It's not good to everybody, but it's been good to me. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Keith. Thanks and, for doing it. And I can't wait for the, the next book, too, even though... We've will, got will, all the time you want on the table with us right now. Good. I will let you know when, well, what's, what's my, oh, what can the matter be? Yeah. Yes. What I can the matter the be? <laughs> Jason, thanks for engineering thank today. You, Jason. Everyone out there, thank you so much for listening, for joining us today on this January afternoon. Hope you're staying cozy up out there. We've got sports up next. I'm T. Hetzel. Keith Taylor today on the program, All the Time You Want, Selected Poems, 1977 to 2017. Until next time. Great. Thanks, T. Woo-hoo! <laughs>
That was Living Writers, and this is the Daily Sports Report. It feels good to be back in Prod A uh, after a long hiatus for myself, at least. My name is Kellen Flynn. We've got a great crew today, Vianney Soir, John Tondora, and Alex Miller. And we're going to be talking some Michigan football and kind of doing a, a review of the season, what made this season, what made this team so special, and kind of reminiscing and looking back on what obviously was the perfect season for Michigan football 15 and 0 capped off with a Rose Bowl win and national championship um any opening thoughts from either of you guys so far Alex will be joining us soon John obviously a writer for the Michigan Daily on the football beat as well as as uh, as well as your WCBN activities um I guess we'll start with you John any opening thoughts on just the football team from a bird's eye view? Yeah, definitely, Kellen. Thankful to be here, you know, switching allegiances a little bit from the Michigan Daily to WCBN Sports for the DSR today. I think what's most striking about this season, especially, you know, Vihan, maybe you would agree with me, is just how many moments there were. You know, you look at 15-0, and 0, you think of an unblemished record, and at times it can kind of feel monotonous in a, in a winning sense of they must all blend together. 